You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. And today we have a special guest in the studio to talk about ADUs. You may know him from Bigger Pockets as that ADU guy. He's going to come here and talk to us about how he's building ADUs for $100 a square foot, the two poison pills for ADUs, talk some strategy, and most importantly, how investors can take knowledge of ADUs and actually go out there and apply it to a project, to an investment, and understand how they can fit it in their game plan. So, Derek Sherl, that ADU guy. Thank you for being in Denver Day, man. I'm glad to have you here. My pleasure. Glad to be here. This, nowhere else I'd rather be this morning. Yeah. So uh, you came into town la- yesterday for to come speak at an event, the Rocky Women's Networking, or I, I'm butchering that, right? Rocky Mountain Women's Invest. Rocky Mountain <laughs> Women's Invest, which brings us to our third host, Stacey Rosansky, who's our in-house ADU expert. And you're also a very active member in that club as well, which kind of got everything full circle, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how was the presentation last night? What do you guys want to know? You know, it was awesome. I'll tell you this. um, I mean, a room full of high producing investing women in ADUs. That's like my two favorite things in the world (laughs) with all due respect. So uh, when I got the call and the invite for that, I was like, yes, please. I'll be on the next flight. So it went really well. I'll tell you one thing that stood out to me. I don't know how many women were in the room, but I asked kind of mid presentation, how many people in here are looking to purchase their first property and not a single hand in the room went up. Really? Every person in there was in the game. And it just goes to really stamp the fact that I, I preach often, which is women are way better investors than men. They're more patient, they're more organized, they have less ego, and they drive higher returns over longer periods of time. So that was all evident last night. Wow, that's a really cool, they are all experienced, or had some properties. Every single one of them had at least one property. So I, I was blown away. I mean, they were action takers. Okay. So um, I got a huge list of questions here. I'm going to start like firing them at you and sorry, in like no particular order because we've had the last half hour or 40 minutes been sitting here drinking coffee uh, the day after the presentation, just having lots of fun conversations here. Um, so you get asked all the time, ADUs, the landscape, where do you want to start? Like, where would be a good starting point for quarter two, 2023, high interest rates, ADUs are, you know, they're evolving different parts of the world. Denver here is a little bit slower than California, Oregon, you know, where you're at. Where, where does someone start? So start like, what's the thing about ADUs? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I would always start by understanding your local market. So the, the really, um, I'd say the greatest advantage of an accessory dwelling unit is it's very similar to a duplex, preferably a detached duplex, and and less people know about them. So as new investors are trying to break into the market, and kind of the crown jewel is the small multifamily, the the duplex, triplex, or quadplex, where we can come in with low down and get owner-occupant financing. The ADU is kind of a trick to go around a lot of the competition and look for a better deal and I always tell people it's it's a small multifamily property in a highly desirable single family neighborhood. But the trick of finding the ADU is understanding where you can and can't deploy it. 
And that usually starts with the planning and zoning office. Yeah, let's dig into here because I mean, Stace, we've done some detailed stuff on zoning and, you know, in Denver and, and surrounding counties in Denver as well. And it's a smorgasbord. Um, so like we have an investor coming in here. You're, you don't, you don't know Denver, but you know how to come in and like go through things. You know, Denver zoning. So we got people wanting to look at ADUs in Denver. Where would they start? I'm going to ask you first, Dirk, like they come in, where would they start? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So this is a people business. This is a relationship business. And we have to go to the decision makers. And in pretty much every case nationwide, that's going to be your planning and zoning office. There's officials in that office that write code, that make decisions. And the planning and zoning code is literally the rule book for how we make money in real estate. And I harp on this all the time. Whenever I speak, I I ask uh, anybody in the room who's a land use planner, uh, does anybody even know a land use planner? Has anybody ever read code? It's literally the most important piece of legislation and information for the strategy and nobody ever looks at it. And it's quite simple. So I always say, become an expert in your local planning and zoning code as it pertains to your strategy. This applies to anything. I mean, if you want to build tiny houses or you want to do a manufactured home park or you want to do a commercial multi-use building, you have to understand the zoning code. With accessory dwelling units, it's really simple because the code language is usually 10 pages or less. So when I say become an expert in your local planning and zoning code, I mean call, email, and go into your local planning office, get to know the decision makers, find out the code that dictates your strategy, read it, and then go apply it. It's that simple. But 90% of the time people call me, they say, Derek, I just bought this awesome house with an ADU. Um, I called the city, they said there's no permits and we're gonna close tomorrow, what do I do? So people always go shopping and usually purchase even before they understand the zoning code. And the trick is to go understand the zoning code before you go shopping. So if somebody's coming into Denver and they hit up your team, I would highly recommend that you take them by the hand to the planning and zoning department, get a planning and zoning map, ask the planning official to actually circle the areas on the map where we could shop to deploy the strategy that the client wants. Perfectly said. <laughs> I, I would say it's just, it's an ever, right now in Denver, there's it's so much attention on it. So it is ever changing. Um, and so it is super important to know your zoning and, you know, be working with, with someone who's familiar with it. It's like one of the items on our checklist when we go under contract, right? We double check the zoning because the MLS is not always correct. You want to make sure you're actually doing your due diligence that, um, you you have the correct zoning that you need for for your project and i'll just echo you know the planning and zoning committee they're just people you can you can call them they'll call you back you can email them they're not that difficult to reach but so many people just can't get over that hump of just picking up the phone so it's super important stuff and you've mm-hmm. had no issues reaching out no to... i they they respond to email usually quicker than phone calls, but they, they've always responded even, you know, in Denver where it's the busiest for sure. Um, they, they respond because I don't think a lot of people do it. A lot of people aren't calling them. So, um, it's super important to, to understand at least a basic level of the code, which we did a whole podcast on, you know, what to Mm -hmm. look for specifically for ADU zoning. And again, that is changing. Denver is like allowing more zone districts to, to be able to build ADUs, but that's definitely the first and most important step. Okay, what's step two? You know, the second step would probably be to, it it depends, if you're shopping, uh, it's gonna be to identify those markets. If you already are under contract on something that you think is in in a market area that allows ADUs, 
and you're under contract or you're going to purchase, you're going to make an offer. The most important document you can have is the certificate of occupancy. So I'm going to pick on realtors here for a second because as ADUs become more and more popular, any house that has any kind of detached anything or garage in the alley or some kind of a legal studio in the basement, a realtor loves to say this has ADU potential. They like to market it as an ADU and they like to price it as an ADU. And if they can, they'll sell it as an ADU. And it's not a legal existing dwelling unless it has a certificate of occupancy. So that's the second most important call, I think, to the city officials is, hey, um, I'm looking at this property with my team. It looks like it has an accessory dwelling unit. Can you please pull the archives and pull the record and make sure that it was fully permitted and there's actually a certificate of occupancy? You're going to need that for your insurance writer to put a tenant in there. You're going to need that for peace of mind. You're going to need that for value. And here's the kicker is if, it, if it's not a legal permitted conditioned living dwelling, you can potentially go back to the seller and negotiate the price down. And we could still buy it and close on that if it's in an area where we know we can legally bring it up to code and have it as an illegal dwelling. So those are the two things that I see people miss on most often. And that's kind of, I have a flow chart for how are we going to do this ADU process. And if we're on the buyer side, those are the steps. If you already own a property and you're trying to deploy the strategy via a conversion or a new build, um, it really does start at the planning and zoning office again. And it's, it's a direct question always because zoning is so site specific just because your neighbor across the street or even next door on the same block mm -hmm. built an accessory dwelling unit does not mean that you can. So it's always a site specific question. Dear Mr. Mrs. They planner person, can I build an ADU at one, two, three Adams street? Yes or no. I always say to get no's verbally. And when you get a yes, um, that, that will help you ask for an email Yep, just to have that paper <laughs> that's trail. A, that's the, that's not only good for zoning, that's a really good uh, rule of thumb for yeah. business and life and general. Yeah, and, and I don't mean that in a manipulative way at all, but what I can say based on two decades of experience making these planning calls is you'll get different answers, different days. Um, I mean, the, the trifecta is getting different answers from the same person three days in a row. So it's really important to to call and get it in writing. And even though I'm an expert in some markets, I still call because it's it's changing so fast. And especially in Denver right now, we're going to talk site specific for a minute, but the Denver ADU project is like top of mind. It goes to the city council here. We're, we're recording this in spring of uh, 2023, and it's, it's going to the city council next week. So it's it's really top of mind, and it's radically changing based on what's approved. So it's nice to become an expert in your market, but always the trust, but verify, always get the decision makers approval and writing before you spend money. And even just to add to that, you know, you can search for permits online for any address. You don't even have to call. That is something you can do just right from your computer. Super simple process. It'll pull whatever permits are, you know, available. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, can call beyond that if you have questions, but it's something, you know, you don't even have to take that extra step to actually talk to someone. You can do it just from your computer. Nice. <laughs> if, if I had my my gold star sticker book, I'd put one on your phone. <laughs> so that's, that's because she's an expert in her local zoning code. Yes. And I, I didn't know that because I'm not an expert in Denver's code. Um, so great point. You've dug around on the site. We all want to research backsplash. How many times have we looked at different floor coverings for hours? How many times I'm asking our viewers right now, how many times have you Googled ADUs in Nashville, Tennessee? Or can I build an ADU in Austin? 
It's that simple. Just do the research in a little bit different direction and you can become a pro just like her. Um, so I want to, uh, something that I see, you know, there's a, there is a lot of attention um, and involvement around ADUs. And of course, we're talking real estate, we're talking governments. It's, it is a slow moving beast. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people wanting to either find an ADU, which is incredibly hard in Denver, because uh, even if there is an ADU, uh, a lot of them are not permitted or, you know, whatever. Um, and then also people, hey, I want to b- find a place to go out there and build an ADU. And for a lot of these clients that we talk to, a lot of times they're a, a new house hacker, maybe on their second or third property, coming in, having to find a property and then go in there and build an ADU. I have I see so many issues of you know getting all through all the zoning stuff. It comes down to the cost to build and the ability to also finance it. Those are two big big hurdles to run into because a lot of times they're you know when uh, two hundred thousand dollars plus for an ADU and then financing it. You're using construction loan. Where do you come up with there? Where hey cool you did five percent down conventional on this property. Now get a construction loan or quarter million dollars to build this out. So I. And I'm all about like real world implementation. And I'm very much like a good enough person um, when it comes to like just investing in general. So how do you balance like, hey, this is a really good strategy, but very, very, very few people execute it for a variety of reasons of financing, complexity, all this stuff. How do you balance that angle with, you know, finding and building ADUs? That's a really good question. There's about four parts to that. So I'm going to try to take yeah, them so one, one at a time. It's okay. Uh, so trying to find an ADU in Denver can be hard. You know, the the actual data I got yesterday is there's 450 legally permitted ADUs between 2010 and today. And that's in Denver, which according to my research is about 800,000 people. So that's a tiny, tiny speck of available ADUs to purchase. With that said, the easiest, most effective way to get your own ADU is to buy a house that already has one. You show up at the closing table as an owner-occupant with three and a half to five percent down. You put thirty-year fixed-rate debt on it, yep. and you forget about it. In a market here where they're few and far between, you're probably going to pay a premium. It's still worth it. Um, on that note, and I'm not a lender, and I'm not going to talk too deep in lending, but I want to say something important here: is a lot of people will go get pre-qualified for say seven hundred, and they find a house that has an ADU that's eight twenty-five, and they think it's out of their price range. Well, it's not. There's a federal change in the last six months that now allows QM mortgages to count that ADU income towards their DTI to qualify. Oh, I haven't so heard about So you need that. to have a good relationship with your lender or lenders. Some people will say, oh, well, my lender says I can't buy an ADU because they're going to treat it as a duplex and I need 15% down, even as an owner rock, not five. Call a different lender. Lenders are not created equally, <laughs> even if they're Freddie Fannie backed, even if they're they're selling QM products, which is a qualified mortgage, traditional standard stuff. We're not talking portfolio lending here. So start with the lender. You need to have an amazing relationship. It's again, back to what I said about the planning and zoning office. It's a people business. We need to form relationships with our lender, with our realtor, with a land use planner, with our community development office. There's so many different relationships that we have to build to, to execute this. And to your point, Chris, it's, it's not easy. And that's why there's opportunity. If this was easy, everybody would be doing it. And I had a conversation last night with a woman from Rocky Mountain Women Invest Group about the potential here. One thing that's negative is there's such a constricted supply and there's so much red tape. But on the other side of that bottleneck 
is this wide open space where you have very little competition. So the first people to market are going to do really, really well because it's so hard to get there. That's why there's a profit. If everybody could just build whatever, it would actually be good. And there'd be huge downward pressure on pricing, which we need um, really as, as a nation. But that's not the case. So um, we have constricted supply, super high demand. Denver's a great spot. The financing piece, if you can't purchase one, um, there's a lot of different ways that we can look at, at, at lending on an accessory dwelling unit. But it really does start with the math, and it depends on the market you're in. An ADU costs about the same to build in Aspen as it does in, think of the crappiest city in the crappiest state. I'm not going to pick on anybody, but it's very (laughs) similar. (laughs) Yeah, it's very similar uh, price-wise. So we only want to be looking to build these with our own money or with creative financing or with construction loan or bridge loan or gap funding or private money or hard money if it's in a market that has a really high demand and high rents. So this area, site-specific, again, to Denver today, is a great spot. I tell people, if you can build an ADU, this is one of the few markets where it's it, you cannot lose. You cannot lose with the demand and the price and the way people are flocking to this area because of the sun and the mountains and a million other reasons. So try to fund the ADU in any way that makes sense. I'm a huge proponent of long-term fixed-rate debt. If it's um, a a new purchase, there are plans where you can show up to the closing table with a qualified vetted builder and a set of plans and said house and close them all together. You can do bridge funding. Um, Everybody always asks me, Derek, how do you build an ADU? You can't finance them. And they actually are fairly defensive of it. And I I always just say, well, the same way you would go flip a distressed property. Nobody's going to lend on it when it has little value. You have to put some skin in the game up front where you get that skin is just like doing a rehab. It's how do you go flip a, how do you burr a house that nobody's going to lend on? Well, you come up with private money or you borrow from your 401k or you use savings or you ask rich uncle or rich aunt, you put together a financial stack of however you can, because the deal makes sense. So that's probably the, the funding piece. And then there was one more part of the question. Can can I peel back that funding piece on here? Because I mean, and you said that there's about 450 permanent use since 2010. Sounds about right. From we hear there's 80 a year. So that sounds about right. Now, I agree. 30-year fixed debt is amazing. I would say a good chunk of those ADUs are probably in like our areas, like the Highlands, Sloan's Lake, where these are million-dollar-plus properties. Like thinking of the last handful of ADU transactions we did, I think the last four, two were in the million-dollar-plus range. And two were six, seven hundred thousand dollar range. So two fit within the the, uh, the uh, limits. Two are in the jumbo territory. So now we're doing a whole whole different financing on there. Do you run into like like many of the jumbo loan territories for ADUs that you build or you're part of out in Oregon? No, we we brushed up closer to it. So so the the actual cap on a jumbo is different per region. Yeah, and in our region at the time when we were pushing up to it, it was like five fifty. And it's since been bumped up to big to like 729. So okay. we don't, but just for the record, I, I don't sell houses. I've never sold an ADU. Um, I'm not a realtor. Uh, I don't build to sell. I build to rent. 
So I don't usually have that problem because that that overall end price appraised value is irrelevant because all I'm doing is refining, re, refinancing out what I have in it, which is considerably less. That's how I'm adding value. I need that value hat behind you. I would just like put it on. <laughs> so I, that's how we drive value is by building it. So we don't push up against that. But that's a good point you bring up that you know some of those high price tags are probably because it's it's that ADU property. You know, you yeah. say it was built for two fifty. But if you took that ADU away, that property might sell for 350 less. So that's a that's actually, I, I would say, a benefit to build an ADU to put yourself up into jumbo terms. Yeah, you may have a little bit smaller buyer pool because of lending regulations, but you have so much more demand. You did. You made a good point last night um, at the event that I think you could repeat here, um, because even though you're you're building and holding, you still need an appraisal right? For your refinance or however you're planning to, you know, pull your money back out. Um, so can, can you talk about how you, what you do with, you know, because, because there's only 450 ADUs, appraisers, lenders, they're just not as familiar with how to value them. So what are some things that you've done to, you know, help get the value, help them see mm. where the value is? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful question. So, you know, there's a few different models and there's, you can argue this all day long, but there's like the there's the cost comparison approach, there's the comp approach, there's the the taxation approach. In a market like this, it's going to be hard because they're not well respected. But I would say what I do and what people should do here is keep really, really good documentation of your build process. So if you're building an accessory dwelling unit, keep really good records. We never want to do an appraiser's job, but I've never had an appraiser say no when they show up and I say, hey, I, I know you're a professional, I'm not an appraiser, but I do have some data that I think will help you and save you some time in your research. Can I provide that? And they'll always say yes. So I have a, a very itemized list of everything that was done with retail price, not my price. And then I pull my own comps in the area mm -hmm. and different lenders will tell you different things, but even if they're illegal or we call them legacy ADUs, if you can even find illegal ADUs, three of them that are similar, they can use those for value. So it doesn't have to even be a real ADU. And then on top of that, um, kind of a second piece of your question, I don't put qualified debt on a lot of these. A lot of these, when I build them, I build them with cash and then I'm pulling a HELOC while it's still the primary mortgage before I go. So I get the best rate and you mm -hmm. can do that. You pull a HELOC, you can even tell the lender, hey, I'm gonna move out of this next year. We don't care, it's your primary, we'll HELOC it at that. And you've got that 10 year draw period at that really sweet rate. And that, appraisal is a portfolio usually for the bank or credit union. So they have different regulations. They don't have to follow that really strict yep. federal checklist. So I provide them with a list of multifamily properties, commercial properties, even if I have several ADUs on one property. So not that we're, again, it's not a manipulation tactic and we're not even trying to lead appraisers. We're just saying, hey, this is what I'm really good at. I've put together some data that might help you. Would you like it? And they always take it. And that can, that can help we're kind of like around the corner helping coach them into helping our price. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you know, I say it says a human myself, we all, if you can give us, if you make our lives or jobs easier, we generally want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially with all that research, that is a great, great, great tip. And the, the front end of that, and, and I spoke of this last night and it's probably just as important is if you're on the fence, if you're like, hey, I have this house and we just got a bid back for this plan set for this 600 square foot detached ADU, I don't know if it's gonna return what it's gonna cost. Well, go to a local professional respected appraiser in your area 
and pay them. Don't ask them, pay them for your yep. time. Hey, can I give you a few hundred dollars to give me an opinion of value on this plan set ADU built at this address next spring? And they'll give you a really good idea if they're good of what that's going to end up appraising when it's done. So I always say spend a few hundred dollars up front to save yourself 250000 If you think it's going to be close and you have to burr your money back out and you're counting on that appraisal to give you at least 80-20 LTV on the back end, get a warm fuzzy from a good appraiser first. That's a great tip. So you referenced, uh, I want to make sure we talk about this. Like, what what is your strategy? You're building ADUs, you're building them to rent. Can you talk about what your investing strategy with ADUs are? Yeah, yeah, Chris. Uh, so I just, I've done the same thing for oh, over 20 years now. I buy a primary house in an amazing area. I always focus on area first. The big three that I talk about often um, refer to tenants too. Tenants want the same thing we want as owners. They want location. They want privacy and they want amenities. So I always start by buying a primary in the best location I can possibly afford. What started as a strategy of buying a primary house, remodeling it, building an ADU or two ADUs, living in it for a year, and then selling it and go repeating the strategy, I've just evolved into one level up from that, which is buying that same exact property. It's it's still my avatar, only it has a large enough lot that I can do that and I can split the lot into two or three lots of legal record, completely new tax lots, where I can then go build a primary house and two ADUs. So I take these single family houses that nobody wants because they're market rate or higher. I usually pay over market rate. They're, most of these are on the MLS. Lately, they're not, but traditionally, they've all been on the MLS at not a discount at all. But I look for an anomaly. I look for a, you know the, the development potential. So mm-hmm. you'll hear infill housing, more and more, we're all young, we're gonna be investing for 50 years. Like infill is gonna be like the most common word in real estate and development in 10 years. Right now, people are like, what's infill? And infill really means we're, we're filling in these large single family lots that aren't great use of infrastructure and space. So I just look for large lots in my markets um, that are fairly flat, that have good infrastructure, that are in good school districts with low crime, that I know my tenant, I, I know my tenants intimately, They're they're very um, similar. Most of them are teachers and nurses. They have a bike and a kayak and a bunch of outdoor gear, and they usually drive a, a Subaru Forester and stay for about three years. And so I build <laughs> I build the the product that they want, yep. which is a small standalone. My my kind of my best model that I build over and over is six hundred square feet with a two hundred square foot loft, one bedroom, one bath build it affordably. It's a simple rectangular design, cabin style, bungalow. And then, uh, you know, I put nice products in that they want. They want real hardwood floors. They want granite countertops, custom cabinets, uh, in-unit washer and dryer, and they want it to stand alone. It's that privacy piece that's huge. And, and a again, loft for their kayak. And a loft to, to <laughs> store their kayak. And I, my first few, I was like, everybody has a 12-foot kayak and there's no storage unit big enough. So I had to design my unit around what my tenant wants. And that's why I've had the success, the little bit of success I think I've had is because I never was like, what do I want? It was like, what does my tenant want? Yeah, what does your customer want? What does the end user want? And then I provide that. Um, So a lot of the strategies I teach to homeowners, first time home buyers is the attached ADU because it's so much more affordable. But my strategy really is finding these spots where I can do the detach because the tenant wants their own small, private, custom, standalone house. Yeah. So... Um, I want to uh, ask you about 
these poison pills? Because as we were chatting before we uh, hit record on the podcast, you were like, there are two big poison pills for ADU. What are those? Yeah, and good. Do we have them. <laughs> yeah, good question. So Denver specific, yes, you have one of them. The first and foremost that comes up often Denver doesn't have, which is a parking requirement. So a lot of codes across the country and, and these accessory dwelling unit codes are spreading like wildfire from the, the West Coast to the East Coast. They're going around the Midwest, but they'll eventually move in there as well. But the off-street parking standard is hard because as we infill semi-urban areas, you know, they, they were set up for, you know, say it's a 1,700 square foot that was set up for 3.2 people and two parking spots. Driveway aprons were built that way. Garages were built that way with 16-foot openings. Nobody really planned for three or four parking spots. And a lot of cities have said, okay, well, the state's mandated that we accept ADUs, but we can still have some of our own siting and design standards in here. So they put in these little things that keep investors from building these and stacking these up. Or neighborhoods get together and band together and say, we don't want apartments in our backyards and we'll make sure there's a parking requirement. Mm. So the off-street parking spot, which Denver doesn't have, kills a lot of ADUs because a lot of times you just don't have room to build parking. Your lot's not wide enough. So you're saying a lot of these parking restrictions are just the way the the local neighborhood or the local municipalities are pushing back on? Yeah, it, it can be. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And there's lawsuits going on in several states right now um, okay, I didn't to, think about this. to address that. Yeah. And then the other one, um, which is probably even larger, is the residency requirement. So that's when a city says, yes, Chris, yes, Stacy, you can build an ADU, but it has to be your primary residence. And if you ever sell it, the next primary owner may or may not be able to rent it. But the, the point that we're going to focus on here is you can't have more than one as somebody that finally went through years of process and headache and figured out how to perfect the that product in your market, and then you're one and done. So as opposed to getting efficient and repeating the strategy over and over and actually adding much needed infill workforce housing, they don't let you do that here. There are some workarounds, and I don't want to get too gray um, in, in the code, but if you are an owner rock, Chris, you build an ADU, and then you want to sell that to somebody else, you can always do a change of use. You can pull the oven out and put in a 110-volt mm-hmm. plug-in countertop appliance and just convert that into additional living space. And it's not going to be its own second dwelling. You might have to pay some fees and some address assignment, stuff like that. But there are some workarounds. Um, I did talk to the director of the the ADU project legislation, and he said that they were pretty close to getting that dropped and maybe in time it will come off. But right now in Denver, the residency requirement isn't great for investors, but we still have 100,000 single family lots that could have one of these. So there's a lot of people that could still really deploy this and do a lot of good. Stacy, for the residence requirement, is that for... So I got two things pop on, popping in my mind around here is I know there's some different zoning for ADUs. Is that... It's only certain types of zoning that yes. have that. Is that for uh, residency or is that for ability short term? I'm, I'm getting, because you've told me it's the past, I'm, yeah. I'm getting hazy. So that there is a caveat. If you have two-unit zoning, I don't believe the owner-occupancy rule applies for ADUs. It's when you're in the single-unit zoning with the the one on the end, that, that zoning allows for ADUs, but that's where you also have to live on the property. Okay. And that's what was on the docket with this project to maybe get that removed. And 
you know, make it more, you know, so that there could be more um, opportunity for different types of rentals. And this all is over for the city. city council vote next week. Is, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, you can still go on, you know, Denver's website, look up their ADs. They've got the whole summary proposed. You can still make comments. So, well, by the time this podcast out, that yeah. <laughs> it's going to be done. So. It's going to be done, but it doesn't hurt to, you know, continue yeah. to reach out to let your city council person know oh, your thoughts it, on <laughs> get plugged in um, mm. that. Um, and then the short-term rental thing is its own beast. That that That's totally is separate. That is no matter what, you have to be owner occupant in Denver. So, if you're thinking about short-term rentals, it has to be part of your primary residence. Okay. And she brings up an excellent point that's that's worth talking on just for a couple minutes, and that's these public meetings are where actual change happens in your city. And I know that as a past sitting planning commissioner in one of my markets, that the policymakers, the city council, the planning commission, these committees, working groups, they're just normal people volunteering their time. They're not land use experts. They're usually not investors. They're usually not developers. A lot of times they vote based on emotion and based on what their constituents and neighbors say or people in the audience. So I encourage everybody, you don't have to be some kind of diehard drum pounding advocate, show up at a local meeting, sign up to speak on a non-agenda or agenda item and just get up there and get your five minutes. That is where change happens. So few people do it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen one or two people come into a public meeting, make a comment with good points, well-spoken and respectful, in the actual legislative city code for that area, maybe even the whole comprehensive plan changes because of what one or two people said. I don't have experience with that personally in Denver, but I promise, again, this is a relationship business. Show up and speak your mind. Like that's where change happens. I think we, you know, it's very powerful. And we've seen that with um, Summit County up in the mountains with their, all the regulations that they put in for short-term rentals the loudest people are, it is not necessarily the local community up there. So, you know, it's really important to get your, your voice heard. I, I agree. Like, um, all right. So how you were saying earlier, you're building for like a hundred a square foot. How the heck are you doing that? You know, 29 years of trial and error and failure, but it boils down to really three things. And this is this is something that I feel like I've perfected, but anybody else could perfect it too. And that's first and foremost, start with a simple design. So many people over-design and overbuild their ADUs. Okay, start with a simple design, a nice square or a rectangular shape. Every pop out, every 90 degrees that we get off of a rectangle is about an approximate $10,000 starting difference. So if you want to make an L shape or you want to pop out window or you want a couple of dormers, it's just in the thousands. Each one of those little design changes is thousands and thousands of dollars and they add up. So start really? with... Really? That's your rule of thumb? For yeah. That? Yeah. Okay. So start with a simple design, self-manage the project if you can. I'm, you know, I'm a general contractor in my state, so I obviously manage all my projects, but anybody else can do that. You don't have to be a contractor. You don't know how to run a skill saw. If you can manage a budget and make a decision, be decisive, deal with a little bit of conflict once in a while, you'll be a great contractor, probably better than me, probably better than most. So um, that's the second. And then the third is do as much of the work as you possibly can yourself. So you can paint, even if you don't have any skills, you could do dump runs, you could do the landscaping, you could do uh, runs to pick up tile. You could um, do a whole plethora of things that you have 
agreed upon already with your subcontractors to save yourself money. So to kind of recap those, start with a super simple design, self-manage the project, and do as much of the actual physical labor as you can yourself. That's how I build them so affordably. Another reason I'm able to, to hit those numbers is because I have a super simple plan set that I build over and over. So there's that economy of scale, that repetition. Um, do you just have like one plan that's just... I have a few. I've got a garage uh, with an ADU above it that I like to build over and over. Can you and just then... kind of tell us what your your go-to templates are? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of them is free on my website. If you go to that aduguy.com and you go to the resources tab, I, I have two free plan sets that I give away. But the basic idea is a rectangular cabin-shaped house. It's 22 by 24 feet. And then it has a 200 square foot loft above the bedroom and bathroom. So the back bedroom and bathroom is the back half. The front half is a great room with a 16 foot tall vaulted ceiling. And then I always use a single one wall galley kitchen. So by putting my kitchen on one wall, I've got one straight piece of granite that I can buy super affordably. There's no mm. seams. There's no bins in the countertop. I don't have any wasted space or lazy Susan or extra trim. So the simple design is, is start with a rectangle kind of cabin approach with a loft. I get that extra 200 square feet for free. I've already built the structure. I literally just put floor joists above the bedroom and bathroom and deck it, and I've got 200 square feet of loft space. So that's the, the simplicity um, that, that I'm going for. We can do conversions if we're gonna do a carve out or an interior conversion ADU starting at about 50 to $75 a square foot. So those are my, doing it for 30 years, I've really perfected the strategy cost. I don't say that to brag, I just say that to show the, the low end of what's possible. And then what somebody would expect to pay if you have a semi-flat lot within 100 feet of utilities and you don't have to change all the infrastructure on your house, in other words, you don't need a new sewer line on the primary, you don't have to upgrade the panel, you can start at about 250 a square foot for an affordable semi-custom builder. And that's the starting. People are like, okay, 250 a square foot, I'll build a thousand square footer and it'll cost me 250. No, that's where it absolutely starts if you don't ever open Pinterest or try to get creative because <laughs> it just goes up from there. But the biggest trick I'll, I'll tell people right now um, to save money is make it smaller. Make it smaller. Everybody says, what's the max size ADU in my zone? Okay, it's 800 feet or 75% of your primary, whichever smaller. All right, I want an 800 square footer. I want it to be a one one. And the fact is an 800 square foot one one is gonna cost almost twice as much as a 500 square foot one one and it's not gonna rent for twice as much money. It may only rent for another couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So, so many people over design, oversize, overbuild and then they overspend and they're like, well, I got a quote for 350,000 for my ADU. That's just not worth it. Well, it's 1200 square feet. It's got marble tile throughout. Um, you know, it's it's too big, It's it's you've overbuilt it. And a good rule of thumb for how much should I build for is try to back into the average square foot price of the primary house and your neighborhood. So if you're in an average Denver neighborhood where the price per square foot of the house is $400 a square foot, make sure you're at that or under on your projected build cost slash you know, appraisal for refi. That's a great rule of thumb. Yeah. So you hear all this, Stacey, like uh, these plans. I know, you know Denver has its, you know, it's all these ADU zoning and setbacks and rules in this how do we take amazing planning amazing building um you know just right attitude for hey simple and small how do we translate that to denver we got people here in denver listening around saying it's awesome derek how do i how do i do that here can can we copy and paste templates typically do you know or 
Um, I don't know for sure, but 20 by 24 seems like a pretty simple standard um, footprint that would fit, you know, in a Denver lot that would, that would fit and the lofted ceiling too, because we always have bulk plane issues. So uh, what's a bulk plane issue? Bulk plane is, it has to do with the, um, I'm not going to explain this well. These like, you can only, Sorry, you, you can only go so your roof line can only go so far into the space above you have. So, so you have to have angles. So if it's a rectangular roof mm-hmm. or second story running the bulk plane issues where the, the angled roof. Right. And so it has to fit into okay. this, whatever's set in the code. Um, so having those, the lofted uh, angled roofs should actually work really well in Denver. Um, so I would say, I think it is feasible. You know, we just got to get with your, you got to get your team together. We have, have to get an architect and, and a builder that, you know, can make sure it all will fit within the zoning code. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what, what I would do if I was here, I would spearhead that and I would budget, say it costs $5,000 for you to put together a plan working with the city. Planning is, is less involved with the design. They're just going to plot it and say, yes, you can meet the standards. You, you'd want to tie in with the building department. Mm-hmm and an engineer and an architect, and you could design an accessory dwelling unit, have it printed up, be able to give that away to your clients, give that away to your fellowship, add extreme value to so many people, and then try to give it to your city. So we did that. We took a couple sets of plans that we designed and we gave them to our city. And it took about a year for us to give them plans. So what happens now is when you come into the planning and zoning office in our area, most people ask about an ADU and they give them a little check sheet and they go out and they spend you know thousands of dollars on design and they spend thousands of dollars on engineering and they get their cool little set of plans and then they start farming them out and they realize this is way more than I thought and I can't afford to build this and they, yes, they never build. Yes, yeah. Where if you can just go into your planning department and it's just like, hey, you know, the, Chris and Stacy put together this set. It took them a year. They gave these to the city and now we give these out for free. So anybody that comes into the planning department or emails the planning department, they can say, hey, here's a free pre-approved set of plans that's already been checked off by building and you can go start budgeting and planning your process. Is there clout in knowing that you designed those? No, just is you're helping your community. I'm surprised they don't already have pre-approved plans here. But I if somebody that. wanted to do that, if, if it cost you $5,000 and in 25 years you're driving around with your grandkids and there's 200 houses that you designed to help your city, like how good would you feel? Like, what's the ROI on that? Like, it's infinite. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. I like that a lot. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, taking a step back, a little bit of a crystal ball question. Next 10, 15 years, how do you see just the general ADU landscape uh, changing, evolving? Because it seems like, you know, a lot of cities are changing, we're opening rules, like, do you think we're at a point of like critical scale or mass where we start seeing a lot more ADUs getting built up? Like where do you see this going over the next 10, 15 years? Just from a pure macro level. Yeah. Yeah. I would see ADUs as we know them with that naming probably disappearing. And it's going to be more density based on a calculation. So it's just going to be more infill housing right now. Uh, we're seeing this happen in my state in Oregon. We're seeing this happen heavy in California where we've eliminated by state law through legislative action, we've eliminated single family zoning. And there's already 
uh, a champion senator here that's written a proposed bill to do the same in Colorado. It's going to happen in every market that has a housing crunch where people can't afford to live. And right now we call them ADUs, you know, in, in Oregon and California. Now it's it's duplexes attached or detached. I like ADUs because the code's weight, it's 10 pages or less. If you get into the multifamily code, there's a lot more standards. We're talking like sidewalk, curb and gutter, street trees, fire suppression, sprinkler systems. There's all this other stuff. ADUs are nice because you can piggyback off the utilities of the primary house. You don't need okay. parking usually. There's all these little savings. But in the long run, we're just going to do infill housing. Call it a duplex, call it an ADU, call it a multifamily lot, call it what you want. They're going to say that you can build one house per thousand square feet of lot space eventually is my is my crystal ball guess that it's less about what we call them and more about how do we fit more units into spaces that already have freeways schools fire departments police departments infill that's ultimately the the problem and solution to me to yeah Derek, this is awesome man um if you ever if there's ever an opportunity for you to record a video in denver for a future bp show or you need an adu out here love to collaborate and do go walk a profit and just kind of like watch you in real life. Oh yeah. Point and talk to stuff and just kind of pick your brain. So if they're not, there's ever an opportunity, man, we would love to uh, help you out and do it. Darn it. Yeah. I, I did one yesterday for, for one of the Rocky mountain women's group. She said, come over. I want to yeah. do a garage uh, ADU. And I, I went and walked her property and we checked out the alley and we walked down the street and saw a couple of people that had done it before. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So like the, the, we'll do the ADU ride along show. Yes. I like it. Perfect. I'm I love in. it. Derek, thank you so much. Of course, uh, your wealth of information. Love your shows in bigger pockets. Your website, thatadu.com, has a free templates, has great resources on there. So but make sure you plug in and check out Derek. Thanks so much, man, for stopping in town for a couple hours. Yeah, my, appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Stacey. Yep. We'll see you guys next week. 